0: To our new listeners, welcome. To our old listeners, welcome back. Another episode of Magical Education awaits you. But first, we would like to say a few words. Nitwit, blubber, oddment, tweak. Podcast nine of three quarters. Topic of the week is: How do you become an animagus? <laughs> Hi listeners, I'm Jem. And I'm Ria, and today we're talking about Animagi and how to become one. So for this episode, what we talked about was going through the actual physical process of becoming an Animagus, and then whether it'd be worth it to do so, what we would do if we became Animagus, and what kind of animals we turn into, basically covering a lot of bases in terms of Animagus and Animagi in the series. It's something that's always really interested me. Like, I've always been curious, like, how do you do it? Would I do it? What kind of animal would I be? Yeah, so I just wanted to talk about it. Also, before we get into the episode proper, I want to bring up the little problem we have, which is how do you pronounce the word (laughs) animagus? Is it animagus, (laughs) animagus, animagi? I don't know, and I'm going to switch back and forth between all of these. (laughs) I mean, I, in my head, I always go animagus. That's because that's how you read it to me when I first heard the word. And I'm pretty sure when I first was reading the books, I read it wrong because I used to read, what was it, animagus or something like that? (laughs) I don't remember that. (laughs) Oh, animagai? I don't fucking know. But it should be animagus, right? Because it's like animal mage. Well, it should be. But Ron says in the third movie, it's him. He's an animagus. Like... So he, that, he says that. Okay. That's Ron's pronunciation, animagus. Look. It's unclear. We're not going to have a consistent way that we say the word. It's just going to be what comes out of our mouth every time in the <laughs> moment. No way to predict it. Animal wizard. <laughs> so what is an animal wizard? <laughs> okay, well, first things first, becoming an animagus <laughs> It's a skill that is acquired. It's not something that you're born with, not like a metamorphagus. Mm-hmm. So Tongs is a metamorphogus. She can change parts of her body into different shapes, colors, and sizes. But being an animagus is something that you have to learn through several years of study and practice. So basically, an animagus is any witch or wizard who has the ability to transform themselves into an animal. At will. Yeah, at will. Yeah. Like you said, it's a learned skill, but it's also very, very rare. Like, according to Pottermore, I think, or maybe HP Wiki, can't remember what my sources are, (laughs) there's only seven known Animagus in the entire world. Like, those are the ones who are on the registry. Which is ridiculous. I think that was meant to be Britain, because... If you think about the different cultures of Wizard Kind throughout the world, like, like we've learned recently, the school in um, in Africa, the magical school in Africa, has a particular focus on shape-shifting and transfiguration. So you'd think that a lot of Animagus would live in the continent of Africa. <laughs> yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. Well, if that's like the entire function of that school is to learn how to do that, <laughs> you'd think there'd be more than seven. I think that's probably something that JK said like, earlier on, and then has later been retconned. Yeah, maybe. But I'm happy to accept that there's seven animagus in Britain itself. Like, that seems fine. Yeah, I can accept that for Britain, the Britain's wizarding community. Even then, in terms of the whole world wizard population, I wouldn't say that there's a lot. I would say that they're in the minority of wizards. And the reasoning behind that is because it's very difficult, very dangerous, and it's not really considered a useful skill. Yeah. Unless you have, like, a particular need for, disguise or concealment yeah. is what i've read yeah so yeah most people just don't choose to learn it they've got better shit to do with their time which makes me think if someone becomes an animagus would people distrust them for doing that because it's seen as like a skill that you'd use to sneak around and spy on people well, i don't know it depends, I guess. For someone like Rita Skeeter, who's an unregistered Animagus, definitely yes because she is using that ability to spy on people. But for someone like McGonagall, who's a Transfiguration teacher, yeah. like she clearly learns that skill as part of her academic studies into transforming things. Yeah. So I don't find that particularly suspicious. Yeah. But she also did learn it to be a spy for the order. <laughs> oh, did she? Is that true? Well, yeah, it, it was that was what she said when she was learning the skill, like, oh, I'm doing it to improve my academic studies. But I think an ulterior motive as well was, well, I want to join the Order of the Phoenix and this would make me extra useful, wouldn't it, if I could do this? It's not like confirmed in canon, but that's just my suspicion. That's a good theory. I'm just, like, the timeline might be a bit off. Yeah. Because she learned how to be an Animagus when she was 17 at Hogwarts, and I don't know if the Voldemort War, like, the first Voldemort War was happening while she was still that young. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Okay. I like that theory anyway, so let's just say it's true. (laughs) I'm probably way off in terms of the timeline thing. I forgot to consider that. (laughs) (laughs) So I forgot how we got onto this, but should we go into how to become an Animagus? Yeah, let's start there. Okay. So I have the full process written down, which I can read out and we can go through. Yeah, let's do that. Let's go through the full process step by step. Okay, so I'm going to read it out, but I'll stop every couple of sentences because it's very long, so we can discuss bit by bit. Yes. The process is extremely difficult and can result in disaster, such as permanent half human, Mm -hmm. half animal mutations if done incorrectly. A witch or wizard must keep a single mandrake leaf in their mouth for an entire month from full moon to full moon. If the leaf is removed or swallowed, the witch or wizard will have to start over again. So first off, there's so much in just that opening. First off, the whole half-human, half-animal transformation's horrifying Brundlefly concept is great. Um, <laughs> I would love It's horrifying! I would love to just be sitting in Transfiguration class, like a little 15-year-old, being like, wow, I want to become an Animagus. And my Transfiguration teacher just sits me down for a real hard hit of reality. Like, look, if you get this wrong, you could become like a half-human, half-, human, half animal hybrid forever that's fucked (laughs) what what stresses me out there is the word permanent i know (laughs) the permanent half human half animal mutation so this throws me back to fourth book yes second try was a tournament task when crumb turned himself into a half shark creature yes so what i assumed happened there like when i was reading the books and ever since then Uh i assumed that crumb was trying to become an animagus and got maybe like a quarter of the way through the process and then ran out of time. And he was like, well, this is good enough. I can still swim. I have a shark head. I know. But no, apparently he fucked it up. But see, I don't think that Crumb fucked it up because he was only half shark for that one mm-hmm. trial. And so if he'd fucked it up, wouldn't it be permanent that he was walking around with the shark head for the rest of the book? Yeah, that's my question. Uh, otherwise, Harry didn't notice that. <laughs> Harry just didn't notice. <laughs> it wasn't relevant to Harry's journey, so... <laughs> Yeah, see, that's where the word permanent is coming back to me, because Crumb was able to turn back into a human, but maybe it just means that any time he tries to use his animagus ability, he doesn't get all the way into his shark form, and he just turns into that weird shark head man. Yeah, maybe. So it's like permanent, but only if you try and transform. Which I suppose is less horrifying. Less horrifying, but still frustrating. What do you think about having to keep a mandrake leaf in your mouth for an entire month? oh yuck (laughs) like just the taste (laughs) is bad like i'm sick at the moment and so i constantly have this phlegmy acidic taste in my mouth all the time and that's bad enough for a few days never mind for a whole lunar month yeah if it's removed or swallowed you have to start over again how do you eat and drink for an entire month you just have to have fluids you have to put it under your tongue and then just gulp down fluids for a month oh god that's such a hassle (laughs) i know i hate it (laughs) you couldn't kiss anyone for a month either you could if you were very careful and both of you were in on it that's true you're stinky about it (laughs) i've seen headcanons and theories about the marauders becoming animagi while they were at hogwarts which was talking about like how did they get through their classes with a mandrake leaf in their mouth for an entire month yeah like did they not talk did they take a vow of silence how did they get through their meals in the Great Hall? Well, I assume it's like, if you hide it under your tongue, it depends how big the leaf is. Well, it's a mandrake leaf. We've seen mandrakes and they're pretty big. <laughs> their leaves are huge. Yeah, they're like palm sized. That's like the size of your mouth. Yeah. So It's not like you can just put it that your That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yuck. I wouldn't like that. That would probably be the worst part of the whole thing. I think there's worse parts. Let's keep going. <laughs> At the next visible full moon, if the night happens to be cloudy, one will have to start over. The wizard must... Sk- <laughs> <laughs> the wizard must sk- leave <laughs> in, f- in a... Get fire. fucked. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If it's, um, if it's cloudy for six months, get fucked. <laughs> uh, I, honestly, I think this is the worst part. If, if it's cloudy, you just have to start over again. You've had that leaf in your mouth. For 30 days. (laughs) There's no moon tonight. You are outside all the night trying to see the moon, but it's just too cloudy. Fuck you. No wonder there's only seven in Britain. It's always fucking overcast there. (laughs) It's just, it's too hard. Yeah. (laughs) The wizard must spit the leaf in a file within range of moon's pure rays. To the moonstruck file, wizard or witch must add one of their own hairs uh-huh. A silver teaspoon of dew that has not seen sunlight or been touched by human feet for seven days <laughs> and the chrysalis of a death's head hawk moth. The mixture must be put in a quiet, dark place and cannot be in any way disturbed. That if the if it's cloudy you have to start over. That sucks. That sucks so bad. Fuck that. Like, yeah, it'd be alright for Australia, because I mean, if you do it during the summer, it's unlikely that the mood will be covered. If you're a muggle, we have access to weather charts, so you can maybe predict, yeah. the- try to predict when the clouds are going to be around. I don't know how well witches and wizards can predict the weather, though. Yeah. We know that they have, like, they teach astronomy at Hogwarts, and things like the stars and planets and stuff are all important because they're relevant to magic. Mm. But, yeah, I don't know how predictive that is. Maybe I would probably try and ask, a d- like, a centaur or a seer, like, is will the next full moon be visible before I... Committed to putting in that fucking leaf for 28 days. Yeah. I just imagine, imagine if you did it every month in a row for an entire year and you never got a full moon that was visible. Oh, God. How much would you just want to rip your tongue out? Yeah, so that's that's one of the reasons why I think it's so rare and difficult to become an animagus. It's just that alone. Yeah, just the happen chance of it. The dew that hasn't seen sunlight or been touched by human feet for seven days is also interesting. That's interesting, but I think it's manageable. You just go out before the sun comes out, gather some dew in a little vial, mm-hmm. and just keep it in like a draw somewhere yeah keep it somewhere in the dark yeah yeah that's definitely doable it's not as hard as the leaf thing no do you think it has to be exactly seven days or at least seven days um i think at the point at which it gets added it has to be seven days yeah okay so it's seven days before the end of the full moon is when you have to go out and collect this dew and keep it in the dark yeah see then if you get sunlight on it you also have to start over again yeah Fuck, this is so complicated. Yeah. And the chrysalis of a death's head hawk moth, does the moth have to be alive? No, a chrysalis. That's just, it's like cocoon, right? Oh yeah, the chrysalis. It doesn't necessarily say the moth has to still be inside of it. Yeah. Is that the moth from Sansa Lambs that they pull out of their body? Yes, it is. The one that's got a skull on it. Okay. Cool. (laughs) Nice movie reference there, JK. (laughs) Fun little fact. (laughs) What I think is interesting is a lot of the elements of this that we're seeing so far have to do with, like, transformation. Like, you know, the phases of the moon. Yeah. Like, the chrysalis is transformative. Yeah, definitely. The whole thing with the the silver teaspoon of dew yeah. that has not seen sunlight or been touched by human feet in seven days, that to me seems like purity because the silver is a pure element and then, like, dew is, like, fresh and clean and then it hasn't been touched by human feet. Human feet are seen as the most putrid part of a human. Besides their soul, I guess. So <laughs> Okay. So that that brings to me this purity. Yeah. The next thing that must happen is for the wizard to wait for an electrical storm, whenever that might be. Okay. During this waiting period the wizard must, at sunrise and sundown, without fail, chant the incantation Amato animo animato animagus with the tip of their wand placed over their heart. When at last there is a lightning storm the wizard ought to move immediately to a large and secure place, recite the incantation one final time, and then drink the potion. That seems doable. Seems doable. The waiting around for an electrical storm has got to be such a hassle. Again, that could be months. Yeah. But after a couple of months with a leaf in your mouth, it'd be a relief. Like, you don't have to have (laughs) something rotting under your tongue for that time. You just have to wait around. Wait and remember to say that incantation every sunrise and sundown. So you'd have to wake up like before the sun every day. Yeah, and make sure that you're not busy in the evenings. Yeah, (sighs) it's so easy to skip one of those as well if you've got something going on. You just have to set an alarm, so you have to every day. Like Mm. again, it'd be easier in the muggle world because every day you can check your phone and be like, "Oh, when's 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 the sun coming up tomorrow? Oh, five forty-five. Okay, I'll make sure I'm awake at five thirty, and then I'll just wait for the sunrise." Yeah, So you can set an alarm for that, but like, wizard folk, that's a bit harder. (laughs) It is advised to drink the potion in an open, out-of-sight area, so as not to disturb or startle those nearby who are unaware of the transformation the drinker is about to undergo. They may feel uncomfortable or panicked in a new body, and this might cause them to destroy their surroundings. (laughs) Instantly after consumption, they will feel a fiery pain and an intense double heartbeat. Double heartbeat?! What? (laughs) Spooky. That's great. First of all, the intense fiery pain. Okay, I can get that maybe for the first time. It's just strange though. And then, like, Mm I understand moving to a place that's like secure and big because you don't know what you're going to turn into. You might turn into a fucking killer whale, (laughs) and then you look like a fool if you're standing in a closet, don't you? That's what I was thinking. If you're a whale (laughs) or something. (laughs) Yeah, I like the idea that. Being in a new body is so panicking that you'll just destroy everything. <laughs> That's very funny. Especially if you turn into, like, a butterfly. Imagine you turn into a butterfly and you're like, ah! And, like, everything around you just crumbles to <laughs> <the> dust. <laughs> no, no one ever, one ever suspects, suspects the butter. butterfly. <laughs> <laughs> we both went for the same joke. Ah, uh, sisters. <laughs> double heartbeat. I, I like the double heartbeat. That's just fun. Wait, is that suggesting that when you're in your animagus, when you're in your animal form, you have your animal heartbeat and then your human heartbeat somewhere? No, I think it's just the first time. Okay. That's fun. Because it says like after consumption you feel this fiery pain and double heartbeat. It doesn't say like during the transformation. It's just the drinking of the potion that does that. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Wild. Yeah. The shape of the creature they will transform into... Shut up. (laughs) The shape of the creature they will transform into will appear in their mind directly before the transformation. Hmm. If successful, the drinker will now have the ability to transform from human into animal by envisioning the animal with the intent of transforming in mind and vice versa. If unsuccessful, the drinker may experience gruesome half-human, half-animal mutations that are permanent and cannot be fixed. Wait, so... As you drink the potion, an image appears in your mind, or do you conjure the image yourself? No, it's it's the image appears in your mind, and you have no control over which animal you turn it into. Okay, you've got to memorize that shape real good, because next time you transform, you want to put that exact shape in your mind. And if you fuck it up, that's when your transformation becomes fucked. No, I think it's if during the process you've fucked something up. Right. That's when you get your half-human, half-animal mutation. Okay. so. You go through this entire process, maybe having to start over several times, maybe fucking up, maybe missing days. And then at the moment of transformation, the shape of the creature you transform into appears in your mind. So you have no idea what animal you're going to be until it's happening to you. Yeah, that's fucked as well. To me, I'm just going back to Crumb here. So his plan to turn into an animal <laughs> for the second was Wizard task that was such a stupid idea like that's so risky he's so lucky that he turned <laughs> even into a little bit of a shark what if he'd been i don't know a fucking rhino yeah I my assumption was that he was doing that already before the triwizard tournament began that he was in the process of becoming an animagus because he wanted to or whatever reason right and then it just happened to be like oh the second task is in water but what luck i'm half a shark so. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I didn't think he was doing it for the purpose of that task. Okay. So maybe if he'd like already tried to do it at Dermstrang but fucked it up. Yeah. Why would you try and do this while you're doing the a tournament? You've got enough going on without having to do all this other stuff. Yeah. That's what I meant. I used to think it was like, oh, he's halfway through learning. That's why he's half a shock. But now that I've learned more about it. Yeah. I think what happened was maybe the year before or something like that, he was like, oh, I want to become an Vegas for whatever reason. He fucked it up along the way, became half a shark. He's like, oh, well, this is a useless skill. But now that the second task came around, he's like, huh, fate has smiled upon me and I can be half a shark. That means that that whole time between the dragon task and the lake task, when everybody else was freaking out and trying to learn how to do stuff, he was just like, whatever, I can just <laughs> chill, I guess. <laughs> Breathe underwater. I'll just swim in the lake so I get used to the cold. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> He just has to learn to kick real (laughs) (laughs) fast. Okay. Well, thank God we've come up with a solution to that then, because it was stressing me. (laughs) Okay. Other things that I have about Animagus each Animagus has an identifying mark on their animal form that is caused by something on their human body. So, McGonagall as a cat has these uh, markings around her eyes that look like glasses, Mm -hmm. and so does Rita Skeeter on her beetle form. She has markings that look like spectacles. Mm -hmm. My question is. What if you don't have something notable about your physical human appearance? And so when you become an animagus, like, what is it, what is it going to do? Because me, myself, I don't have glasses. I don't have a tattoo. I look kind of like a plain Jane <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to interesting bodily features. Well, I think it just takes some element of your appearance. It doesn't necessarily have to be glasses. Like we know um, Peter Pettigrew has a missing finger when he's a rat, but there's no mention of James Potter, like his stag form having glasses prints. So he must have some other kind of mark on his stag form. Hmm. I always thought Sirius the dog is described as this big shaggy black dog. I thought maybe his fur resembled his hair. Yeah. Because his hair is very unkempt and it's black. Yeah. And I, and I think Scabbers' eyes are described as watery, like Peter Pettigrew's, right? I think so. Well, Peter Pettigrew's guy was looking rat-like in, in every way, <laughs> so. <laughs> Hard to tell. I think it's got to depend on the animal you turn into. Yeah. Like, you mentioned tattoos. I have a tattoo of an eye on my ankle. I'm secretly Count all off. <laughs> so depending on what animal was like my animal form, that might translate into something like, I don't know. If you were a oh, horse. An animal with a leg? A dog? A horse or something. Yeah. <laughs> but it wouldn't translate into something like a snake. You might have a little eye shape at the bottom of the tail, maybe. But it's on my ankle. Snakes just don't have legs, so it, it doesn't yeah. translate. The only thing I can think of is that I have a mole in between my boobs. That's the only <laughs> signifying feature <laughs> about me. So maybe if I turned into, like, a whale. <laughs> Or No, a cow. An animal with boobs? (laughs) A cow. In between my little udders, I have just a mole. (laughs) That's so unpleasant. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Well, if you turn into an animal with fur, the fur might resemble your hair. At least be the same colour. Oh, yeah. Or, again, it might have the same colour eyes. That's terrifying. Like a spider with blue eyes. (laughs) You don't have any scars or anything? Uh, No. (laughs) I've lived a very sheltered life. I have a big scar on my finger. (laughs) I have a fake tooth. Yes, you do have a fake tooth. (laughs) This is just a confessions episode. This is like embarrassing bodies episode. (laughs) I love that I'm fucking covered in identifying marks. I've got glasses, a tattoo, I've got scars on my hands. You've got nothing. (laughs) You can't come up with a single identifying feature. (laughs) Nothing. Except my mole and my fake tooth. But they're very hidden. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not like an average joke, like, look at me as a human form and then look at me in my animal form and be like, oh, that's definitely her. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's definitely a titty mole. <laughs> titty mole. <laughs> God. I had no gem by that mole anyway. <laughs> okay, another thing about Animagus is you can consciously choose... If you want to transfigure clothing and jewellery when you transform. Yeah. Which I think's interesting. Because if you remember, yes. there's a scene in the third movie where Peter Pettigrew is transforming back into a rat and he consciously decides, I'm going to go naked for this. Because yeah. <laughs> his clothing melt, like just drops away. and He just scur- scurries out of his trousers yeah. and away into the night as a naked rat. But it's like, why would you do that? <laughs> Going on the run. (laughs) You're gonna need clothes, you fucking weirdo. So I've always found that interesting. When Lupin and Sirius first force Peter back into his human form, he's wearing clothes. But then when he turns into a rat, his clothes fall away. So what's happening there? And yeah, the answer is he chose to do it. He chose to be naked. Why though? (laughs) All I can think of is maybe he thought it would make it harder to grab him immediately. Like, because if he changes with his clothes, then there's just a rat on the ground, and maybe someone's able to dive and grab him in time. Whereas if they have to sort through all these clothes to try and find this rat that's escaping through the grass, maybe it's harder. That's all I can think of. Maybe, I guess. See, I would just be worried if I was Pettigrew that I would be leaving evidence of my existence behind. Oh, yeah. Because- <laughs> I didn't even think of that. No one knows my life, and then I shed all my clothing and transfigure away into a rat. What if, like, the Ministry comes along later and goes, oh, this clothing, like, what's this? And they use some sort of magic to figure out who it belonged to or something like that. I don't know if there's much DNA Mm. magic in in the Wizarding World, but, (laughs) yeah, that's what I'd be worried about. Also, being naked out in the (laughs) (laughs) wilds—concern. Oh, When Peter, like, first gets back to Voldemort (laughs) and changes back, it's like, why are you naked? (laughs) Just to question, it. But that also settles the, the question of what happens to your wand when you transform. I assume if you can keep your clothing and jewelry, like accessories with you, you must be able to have your wand as well. Yeah, that that makes me confident because like I mentioned before, I have a fake tooth. So if I can choose to transfigure um, non-biological material objects that are on me, like jewelry and clothing and my wand, that means I can do the same with my porcelain tooth mm-hmm. so that I'm not like a gappy. Yeah, all the time. I'm not having to find my tooth and stuff like that. (laughs) Also, it doesn't like explode your fucking skull when you turn into a cricket for the first time. (laughs) Oh, Jiminy crickets! Oh, I would be such a fancy cricket. I'd have a little cane (laughs) and top hat. It'd be great. (laughs) It'd just be Jiminy crickets. Jiminy crickets. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's any cricket? That's amazing. <laughs> Another thing I learned about animagus: an animagus's feelings are not as complex when they are animals. Mm-hmm. A dementor's influence over an animagus when it's in its animal form is weaker than it would be if they were in their human form. Yeah, because maybe their soul is affected by turning into an animal. That's interesting. Mm. So, like, is that implied with Sirius when he's an Azkaban? He turned into a dog form. Maybe just while he was serving his centers there, not necessarily while he was escaping. Yeah. He could have changed into a dog and be less affected by the Dementors. Yeah, I assume that's how Sirius was able to keep his sanity. He spent most, if not all, of his time as a dog because the Dementors are blind, so they can't see him. Yeah, exactly. Know that they can't affect him for whatever reason. I'm pretty sure that's actually what he says. Yeah, that's right. That's interesting. It's a really, really good use of an animagus form. It is. Like, if for whatever reason you're like, I'm going to be a professional criminal, that's my career choice. Yeah. It's a really good idea to have that, like, fucking ace up your sleeve when it comes to your eventual prison guards. When you look up animagus, it's like people who are animagus are often connotated with criminal activity and suspicious activity. Mm -hmm. So if you are a criminal, if you wanted to be a professional criminal, Mm -hmm. then yeah, becoming an animagus is really attractive. Yeah. It's a good use of your time. Yeah. Another fascinating thing is that werewolves don't attack you when you're an animagus unless you directly attack them. Yeah. Yeah. Because werewolves don't attack animals. Mm -hmm. So... Fuck it. Yeah. If I wanted to work with werewolves as, like, an advocate or something like that, and I needed to have a bit of more self-protection, mm-hmm. I would become an animagus. Absolutely. Yeah. I had, like, here at the end of my notes section, I had, like, what's the best use of an animagus ability? And I had to be, like, a werewolf social worker or a werewolf rights activist. Yeah. It would be so good if you are an animagus. Or a werewolf doctor. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Because then you can, like, work with these people. Working in, like... Without risk of harm, basically. Yeah, in isolated Yeah, that would be fantastic. That's really good. The last thing that I have about Animagus is that the animal that you turn into is decided by personality traits. It can be indicative of the Patronus that you have, mm-hmm. but not necessarily. Yeah. Um, my question about this is, would this vary from culture to culture? Because different animals have different meanings in different cultures. Like... Uh, snakes in western cultures usually are evil Mm -hmm. but I know that in Indian culture snakes are seen as like everlasting and immortal and a very sacred animal yeah so it depends on like where you are maybe I think absolutely yeah because if the animal it has to do with your personality inner traits not your like external physical traits yeah so I think the culture that you're in and the I guess attitudes you have towards different animals absolutely has to influence your animagus form so like if you hated yourself would you become the animal you hate the most <laughs> like... <laughs> hopefully not <laughs> one thing that you didn't touch on with like the traits of an animagus is one thing that i find super fascinating so when you're in your animagus form you can apparently communicate with animals yes so yes. Sirius talks to crookshanks yeah. He actually convinces Crookshanks to steal the passwords to Gryffindor Tower, which is like, that's a complicated series of ideas to Convey. share with a cat. Yes, Yeah. Peter Pettigrew is able to get directions to Voldemort from the other rats that he encounters. Mm. So again, directions to a place, that's a complicated series of ideas. Yeah. So how are you communicating with other animals? Very interesting. Is it telepathic? Is it some kind of language? Is it like through scent and sound, I guess? how, like, animals communicate in the real world. It's, yeah, I don't think it would be how animals communicate in the real world, because then you'd have to learn a whole new language. And I think it's more like, a mm-hmm. telepathic sort of communication, I guess. Because, I mean, it's been established that animals have a magical hierarchy, too. So maybe if you turn into an owl, it's easy to communicate yeah. with other owls. If you turn into something like a pig, which apparently is the least magical animal, it might be harder to communicate with your animal peers <laughs> than it is with an owl or something like that. Yeah, as we learned in our owl episode, some animals are like capable of complex thought mm-hmm. and ideas and language potentially. So, I kind of just think that animals in the Harry Potter universe can just talk, but people can't understand them. I think they can just talk to each other. Yeah, I, I, I guess so. The Crookshanks and Sirius thing makes sense to me because Crookshanks is a meow, which are like clever cats. Mm-hmm. So it would make more sense to me that they'd be able to communicate a bit easier. But the whole yeah. rats thing with with Pettigrew is weird. That, that that made me think: is it just like interspecies? Like, sorry, intraspecies, or is it interspecies? Okay. Maybe things like measles and thestrals and magical creatures. Yeah, they can communicate real easily because they're magical creatures. That makes sense. If you're like, if you can turn into a dog, maybe you can only maybe you can only communicate with dogs, and you can't really understand birds. That makes more sense to me, just on an intuitive level. Yeah. Like, I like the idea that Peter can talk to other rats and rats have their own Mm. sort of, like, language or... I was about to say culture, I guess. (laughs) Rat culture. Yeah. Rats have arrived. (laughs) That's right. Rats have arrived at Hogwarts. (laughs) Still no explanation for what the fuck that means. (laughs) See Twitter if you missed that reference, listeners. Yeah, that makes more sense to me. I like the idea that Crookshanks is the exception because, as you said, he's a neasel. So he's a magical creature, so the regular rules don't apply. Interesting, yeah. I want to talk a little bit more about the connection between a person's Patronus and a person's Animagus form. Yeah. So we know that you can't choose the animal that you turn into. It's determined by your personality and inner traits. Yes. And I've seen a lot of people say that Your Patronus and your Animagus form is the same. Mm. Because we see that in some cases with McGonagall, for example. Her Patronus is literally hers. If you remember, McGonagall has three cats as her Patronus. (laughs) (laughs) I think she can just cast multiple Ah, Patronus because she's a boss bitch. Basically, her Patronus is herself. That's the best. (laughs) Like, it is herself, because it's not just a regular cat. It's a cat with the spectacle yeah. markings. So that's really interesting to me. Yes. What do you think? Do you think your Patronus and your Animagus form is the same? I think it depends. I think it's like a 90-10 sort of thing. 90%, yes, it is. 10%, not necessarily. Right. Because, like, a Patronus, is supposed to be symbolic of all of your happiness and stuff, right? Yeah. All of your love and happiness. Well you know, that's not all there is to my personality. Yes, I'm a very loving, happy person, but there are other elements to my personality that may maybe outweigh those emotions and those parts of my personality. Yeah. And maybe that would be indicative of what my animal form would be. Mm -hmm. Also, it's interesting because, like, Obviously, I'm not a wizard, and there's no (laughs) way I can tell what my Patronus would actually be. But I have taken the Patronus test. (laughs) The Patronus test on Pottermore. So on Pottermore, they have this version of the test, which is like 10 questions or whatever, and they're really vague questions. I found a, a version of the test which includes all the possible questions that there are. There's like 30 questions, whatever it is. No, there's like 200. And I've taken that test, which I feel is more accurate. And my result was Thestral. Yes. And my question is, can someone turn into a magical creature Yes. or just an animal? And I don't think it can turn into a magical creature. So if my Patronus is a Thestral, then I couldn't turn into a Thestral if I was an Animagus. Okay. I have thoughts on the magical creature thing. I'm going to come back to that in a second. I just want to wrap up this Patronus thing before I move on. So like you said, I think your Patronus and your Animagus form in most cases are probably influenced by those same like internal traits. So you just, Mm. most of the time you would happen to land on the same animal, but in some specific cases it would be different. Mm. So the examples i have are harry and tonks yeah their patronuses take the form of their loved ones yes so that's why i think they're different to what their animagus form would be like i don't think if tonks was an animagus she would become a werewolf no because that doesn't make sense and i i personally just don't think that harry would turn into a stag i think his patronus is his father it's not indicative of his internal personality Mm. what do you think harry would turn into That's a good question. I kind of want to talk about that at the end of the episode, when we talk about what we think we would turn into. Like I said, with the Patronus thing, mine was a Thestral. There are other types of Patronuses which are magical creatures. I think you can have a phoenix, there's a hippogriff as well. So that doesn't translate. Yeah, so magical creatures, we don't actually know if it's possible for your Animagus form to be a magical creature. Mm. There's no instance of it happening in the series so far. But there's also no word from JK that it's impossible. So it's up in the air. Yeah, My instinct is no, I don't think you can turn into a magical creature because I think that's more complex than turning into an animal mm-hmm. for some reason. And also, like, yeah, just going back to the Patronus thing again, is are popular in Western wizarding culture. We don't know about other cultures too. So there's no way to say it's indicative of, oh, if my Patronus is a possum, I'm going to be a possum. Because maybe if you're learning magic in Russia, yeah, Patronuses aren't important like so that's not a thing to Mm -hmm. signify but anyway yeah like I said I don't think that you can turn into a magical creature yeah Patronuses like only exist to fight Dementors they have other uses but basically you wouldn't use them if you're not encountering Dementors so if there's a part of the world that Dementors don't exist you just wouldn't you'd never learn that spell you'd have no use for it yeah yeah so I've seen like arguments both ways I've seen people saying like Sort of the opposite of what you're saying, which is like, well, if my Patronus is a Thestral, then my Animagus form must also be a Thestral, or at least could mm. also be a Thestral. I don't know if I really agree with that. Yeah, I think a better argument is magical creatures tend to have magical properties. Yeah. And there's no way that you would be able to replicate exactly. that. So say you transform into a unicorn. Unicorn blood is supposed to have healing properties that can save you from, like, the brink of death. Mm. But how do you do that as a wizard? Like, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Not in the same way that it does if you turn into a cat, for example. And what if you were a boy wizard who turned into a unicorn? Would that, like, be a weird paradox of nature? <laughs> like, would something happen to you? <laughs> yeah, because unicorns don't yeah. Are there male unicorns? No. Nah. <laughs> hmm. I mean, I don't know. I think the implication is unicorns just don't like boys. Doesn't mean that there's no male unicorns. Yeah. Unicorns mightn't even have a binary understanding of gender, Rhea. Get your mind out of the heteronormative gutter. <laughs> That's true. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. Uh, that was not woke of me. <laughs> Did I just school you on gender and sexuality issues? <laughs> oh God, I'm so ashamed. Oh, how the turn tables? <laughs> Damn it. Let's move on. <laughs> sure. Whatever. Today's topic isn't unicorns. I'm going to cut this out of the episode when I edit it. Anyway. Yeah, so I don't think it's possible because what if you turn into a, <laughs> a phoenix? Does that mean that you can carry things that are ten times your weight and heal people who are crying? I don't think that's right. I wish, though. Mm. Yeah, I don't think it's possible that you can be a magical creature. Do you want to talk about the registry at all? Yeah, um, I think it's a good idea, (laughs) to be honest. (laughs) To register all the anime. It's just poorly executed, because people just don't register themselves. (laughs) So how do you, like, monitor that? Yeah, it seems to be like a (laughs) self-reporting process. Yeah, that's dumb. (laughs) So... Just to back up a sec. So there is a registry of all the known animagi at the Ministry of Magic mm. to ensure that people don't abuse their abilities. Yeah. So it is illegal to be an unregistered animagus. You must disclose that you're an animagus to the Ministry. You have to list your animal form, your distinguishing markings, and that information is available to the public. Yeah. Yeah. So if you don't do it, you can get time in Azkaban. We don't know exactly how much time, but like any time in Azkaban is bad. Mm. But what's interesting is that of all the Animagus we encounter in the series, McGonagall is the only one on the register. So if we just take the basic maths from the series, it's four (laughs) times more likely that you'll find an unregistered Animagus than a registered one. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, maybe you're an unregistered Animagus and you could use those powers for evil, like Rita Skeeter did. But you could also use those powers for good. Maybe Mm. you're doing the heroic thing is it still fine to be an unregistered animagus as long as you're doing heroic things like helping your friend and, you know, spying for the order, which is morally gray. But what if you just like were an unregistered animagus and you were an octopus and you're like, I just want to live at the bottom of the sea. And you live at the bottom of the sea with all your fish friends. You don't know, bother. <laughs> is there anything wrong with that particularly? Like, yeah. Do they have to go to jail if they ever get found out by a fucking mer person or something? <laughs> like, Yeah. Well, it's, it's to stop you from abusing your powers, but like, If you're an Animagus, you're already a witch or wizard. You already have magic. What's stopping you from abusing your magic powers? Uh, I don't know. I don't necessarily agree with it. I mean, usually I would be very anti-registering people in a record to keep track of them because of the history of that. But Animagi are different because they're- Yeah, that just sets off all kinds of alarm bells for It sets off so many red flags. But animagi are different because that's a learned skill. It's something that people choose to do. It's not something that people are born as. So that's the difference for me. Yeah, it's it's a bit like getting a driver's license. It is. It's like, oh, I'm choosing to become an anime because I'm going to put in all this work and time. So either people are doing that like Minerva did for academic reasons or for suspicious reasons or just, you know, their own reasons. I want to know why they did it, basically. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I think that's fair for security reasons. I can see the logic there, Mm. but I I just don't agree with the idea of a registry. I think a better solution is if you choose to become an enemagus and you are found abusing your abilities, Mm. like Rita Skeeter is, you just get a harsher punishment than you would otherwise. Oh, okay. Basically, any abuse of that power should be treated very harshly. Like Rita Skeeter using her beetle ability to spy on people, that should result in time on Azkaban. Yeah. Whereas her just using some sort of recording device to record people. Shouldn't result in time in Azkaban necessarily. I don't know. I just think it should be more harshly punished because it's a power that you're using that people don't know that they should be guarding themselves against. Mm. But I don't think you should have to register. I don't know. Is that a shit opinion? I think I think it's flawed <laughs> because um mm, yeah. Even as I'm explaining it, I'm like this. this is it's, it's, it's too hard. This doesn't hold up to scrutiny. <laughs> I guess it's fine. You can look at it circumstantially if there's so few animagi. So maybe it's fine for Britain, but maybe if you like the mm. African wizarding government, if there is a continental government and not individual countries having governments, which I would assume there would be the case. But anyway, oops, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it might be harder to keep track of all the mm. animagi if there is a huge emphasis on in human transfiguration in that culture. So Yeah then they wouldn't be able to have circumstantial laws. They would have to have uniform laws in terms of punishment for unregistered other So it's hard to say. Well, aside from, like, what we've already said of, like, I would be a werewolf social worker, most of the reasons that I would like to become an animagus are things that I would like to keep to myself. <laughs> Kinky. Like, this is a bit me thinking as a muggle. But if I... Yeah, it's because I'm a furry. <laughs> Fuck you, Jim. <laughs> that is not You heard it here first when I met. <laughs> Rhea admitted herself she is a furry. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> what I was actually thinking, and this is going to put a fucking dampener on this hilarious bit you've started, is that like many women in the world, I don't like walking around alone at night because I feel unsafe in the streets. Yeah. Whereas if I secretly had the ability to turn into a, like a bird or a fucking lion, that wouldn't be a problem <laughs> because I could escape <laughs> or fight my way free if I were to be mugged or otherwise assaulted. So that's like a nice little skill that I'd like to have in my back pocket, but I don't necessarily want to be on a public register with that information. Yeah, I agree with you there, but I would still want to be on the register. I mean, maybe it's just because I'm like into following the, the rules, I guess, <laughs> goody tissues. <laughs> Just very pro-register. But that doesn't exactly apply because, like I said, I'm thinking as a muggle. Like, that would be nice for me right now if I could turn into a bird and get out of awkward situations. Yeah. But if I'm a witch, like, I have the ability to teleport, so (laughs) whatever. Yeah. But what a power move. Like, someone tries to hustle you and, like, as you're walking down the street, you just turn into a fucking lion. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Fuck you. Good luck mugging me when I've transformed my handbag into my lion shape. Who the fuck you catcalling? (laughs) I'm the king in the jungle. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, there's other things like that, but yeah. Without getting into all of my furry fantasies, (laughs) (laughs) like I said, most of the things is that I would, I just like to keep it, this information to myself because I like having it as an ace up my sleeve. Mm. Yeah, I can understand that if you're afraid of the government, I guess. (laughs) Which I am. (laughs) Or as we should all be. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, okay, I guess this leads to our next question is, would you want to become an animagus, knowing the process? Can we just do a couple more things before we go into that? I just have a few last little bits that I want to say. Okay, go ahead. So before we go into, like, our final section, JK once joked that the giant squid is actually Godric Gryffindor. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> So yeah, it was a joke, but can you fucking imagine if Godric Gryffindor just turned into a giant squid and he's been living in the lake for potentially thousands of years? That's fucked, because Godric Gryffindor lived during the 10th century. That's a power move. (laughs) That is a fucking power move. I guess it is. But like, whenever I think of the giant squid, I always think of that horrible fan fiction where the giant squid fucks the Hogwarts castle, and I just... (laughs) makes me uncomfortable (laughs) it was godrick the whole time Jesus, horrifying also i have a theory just my personal little headcanon that i want to drop in here to get your hot take on yeah i think that umbridge is an animagus i think that she wanted to be a cat but she actually became a toad and she never told anyone and repressed the ability and didn't register because she was too ashamed. I support that. Because <laughs> that explains why she looks like a toad. <laughs> but we have learned that it's not physical traits that decide the animal you turn into. It's it's internal traits. But I think she's a toad in her heart as well. <laughs> <laughs> she is. <laughs> yeah, I can support that. <laughs> I also think that Rufus Grimgore is a lion, just because I like the idea of a lion attacking dark wizards. That's pretty fun. Lion police. Fuck you. <laughs> You can't police a lion. He's above the rule of law. (laughs) (laughs) Laws don't apply to lions. What are you going to do, arrest me? I'm a fucking lion. (laughs) (laughs) Can't fit the handcuffs around my paws. (laughs) Yeah, that's all I wanted to say. (laughs) Nice. Would you become an animagus, knowing what we know about the whole transformation process? Yes, definitely, 100%. I would become an animagus. Same. I would totally do it. Even though I know it sounds so frustrating and difficult, I would totally do it. And I think it's a bit of an ego thing too, because like I'm always yeah. the kind of person where like I know I'm like pretty clever and I can work hard to do what I need to do, so I would want to do it for the challenge for one thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, only a few amount of people become an animecus, I'm gonna fucking do it. Like <laughs> That's just Slytherin ambition. I'm just so fucking arrogant. (laughs) Like, as soon as someone's like, this is incredibly dangerous, and if you fuck up, you'll be permanently mutated forever. I'm like, that won't happen to me. (laughs) I'm perfect, and I never do anything wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Also, a fact about me. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So, and also, like, my reasons for doing it would not be honourable, or it would just be, I would want to do it for party tricks. I would want to do it for the lols. I've said a couple of my reasons. Being able to talk to animals is a big one for me. Yeah. Fuck, if I could talk to cats, I'd do anything for that. Jem Doolittle would be a nice, cool thing for me to do. Absolutely. Yeah, I want to know what animals are thinking. Do they know that they get eaten by us? Like, that's the question I would want to know <laughs> the answer to. This is very, very quickly going to a grim place, so I'm going to bring us back. Yeah. I want to ask, what animal do you think you would be and what animal do you think I would be? Okay, I wasn't sure, so I took a test. Buzzfeed quiz. Um, <laughs> a Buzzfeed <laughs> quiz called "What is your animagus form?" I took that same quiz. It had the most generic. <laughs> Are you yeah, serious? Did the exact same oh thing. my god! Had the- <laughs> Sisters, I wonder if we got the same result. So I got an odder. What did you get? <laughs> a dough, which I don't agree with, <laughs> but. <Boobs. laughs> <laughs> I was utterly disgusted. (laughs) (laughs) Here's the the description for a doe. You are sweet and optimistic about everything in life. You always find ways to see the good in people when others can't. You are known to be extremely caring for others, family, friends, strangers. You have a way knowing how and when to comfort others. Mm, That's very much not you. (laughs) Not me. I didn't save the description of an (laughs) otter, but I also thought it was inappropriate. (laughs) It was just something about being like, Really fun-loving and outgoing and energetic. And I'm like, I'm none of those things. Inaccurate. <laughs> yeah. I purposely chose the BuzzFeed quiz because I'm like, what will give me the worst results? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So aside from BuzzFeed's stupid wrong opinion, <laughs> yeah, what animal do you think you would be? I mean, I know what animal I'd want to be, but I don't think I would get to be that animal. <laughs> I'd want to be... A snake. Yes. Or a fox. Ah, also a good choice. Is what I would want to be. I have no real interest in being a bird. If I'm a witch, I can already fly. Yeah. I've got a broom. So, And I hate birds I hate so birds. much. I hate birds them so much. Suck. We've talked about your fear of birds before. I know. I would hate if I became some kind of insect. I would hate it because I don't like bogs either. Mm. And rats especially. I hate rats. I'd love a rat. I used to have a pet rat. I wouldn't mind a bug because <sighs> I think the sneaking potential of a bug is just incredible. Like, to literally be a fly on the wall. Yeah, but what if you can get stepped on? Don't crawl on the floor. I'm a bug. I've got little legs. Use the ceiling, you fuck. So what, I'm just going to jump, and then mid-jump, I'm going to transform. What? And somehow make it to no, the ceiling. No, go stand in the corner. Like, if I turn Go stand in the corner and then climb the wall. <laughs> 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 anyway... <laughs> Enough analysis. You're not going to be. Tell me, what do you think you will be? Um, okay, what do I think I will be? Uh, okay, when I think about my personality, I guess I'm like determined is my main Horse. feature. I'm like always ambitious, always trying to. <laughs> no, I fucking hate horses. Yeah, I mean, if that's the thing, like, it's not about what you hate; it's about what you yeah. are. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm determined. I'm. Smart. I'm adaptable. Like I can crow. be flexible in different situations. No, no wait. That's a bird. <laughs> yeah, I. I know. I mean, I hate birds, but I'm just thinking of like the, the traits of different animals, I and mean, a crow fits pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, spiders again, pretty well. <laughs> okay, can I say what I think you are? Because you obviously haven't decided on something. No, I haven't. What, what would you think I'd be? Okay, I think you would be an ermine. What the fuck's an ermine? <laughs> Okay. So it's like a kind of weasel thing. (laughs) Don't be insulted. (laughs) Yum. But they're they're gorgeous, first of all. They're like pure white and they have these cute little black eyes and nose. So they're beautiful. They live in the snow. They're really clever. Also a little bit vicious. Mm -hmm. But I tend to associate them with like regality. Yeah. So... If you ever imagine, like, a cartoon of a really rich, fancy woman, and she's got, like, an animal draped around her shoulders, that's an ermine. Okay, cool. Yeah. (laughs) And there used to be a law, like, in some country somewhere that literally only the royal family was allowed to wear them, or wear their fur, so they they are associated with, like, regal people. So that's what I would choose for you. You associate me with regality. Interesting. Yeah, you're so fancy. (laughs) (laughs) Fancy? You're the one with a fancy pen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do have a fancy pen. Well, what animal do you think you would be? Uh I want to be a cat so badly, but I don't think I'd be a cat. Funny thing, that's what I was going to say. I think you would be a cat. Oh, really? Absolutely. Ah, uh, good. Cats, because <laughs> they only like a select few people and hate everyone else. Yes, <laughs> They're kind of frightened very easily <laughs> which you are <laughs> anxious but they're crafty they, they'll find a way to do what they want when they want to do it and they're lazy mm-hmm. and <laughs> yeah but they're lovable big sleeps <laughs> they're lovable oh that's so nice definitely i big cuddles big cuddles yeah cat 100 is what i thought for you yeah cat was my first thought i eventually settled on koala though Oh, good one. So koalas are, yeah, big, soft, cuddly. Literally the only thing they do is sleep all day. But then they wake up for like an hour and eat food that is very bad for them and gives them no energy, which is what I do. But also a koala can like secretly tear off a grown man's face with their terrifying demon claws. And I like that. Yeah, I have a feeling you could do that. Also, they have uh, barbed forked penises. (laughs) So that's something that you can look forward to. <laughs> hey, look, it doesn't matter what animal I am, I'm still going to be a lesbian, so that's not a problem I have to deal with. <laughs> I know, it's just a fun fact for our listeners. I learned a lot about koala sex in high school, and I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that gets rid of my follow-up question, which was going to be why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like koala or cat for you. Mm. Cool. So, wrap up the episode. I think we should settle on what Harry Potter's Animagus form would be. I'm going to say a golden retriever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. But I really feel like that's more Steve Rogers. <laughs> <animagus> form. <laughs> no, nah, I'm definitely going to say some kind of dog, because has enough independence to be able to do things by itself, but still really good at following orders. Lovable, loyal, brave. Dogs are great. Lovable, loyal, brave. I can see it. He's a gold retriever. <laughs> <laughs> I like that a lot. Actually, <laughs> I've seen like most often. I've read so much fanfic. Most often in fanfics, like <laughs> Harry tends to end up as either a snake if they're being ironic, a stag like to fit in with James, a lion because he's a Gryffindor. Yeah, I've read one really good story where he was a crow, and there was all this tie into like being a death omen and all of his like role as the boy who lived. And oh yeah. Like that. It's interesting. I think if I had to choose something that represented Harry completely, I would pick a Phoenix. yeah and I know that we ruled out magical creatures yeah but uh with the Phoenix like you have the motif of death and rebirth, like the constant yeah like boy who lived the Phoenix cycle. They're loyal, they're brave, strong, strong. I like yeah the carrying others like because he's the hero. Yeah, I like the healing tears as well for the phoenix that ties into yeah. Harry's story about like healing from trauma. I just think it's a perfect fit for him. The whole like phoenix song and how it inspires hope and love in people as well is very Harry. Yeah, um, but we ruled out magical creatures, so oh, can't do it. Doesn't fit. So as I stated before, what's the closest creature to a phoenix which epitomizes love <laughs> and strength? Definitely a golden retriever. <laughs> Yeah, I guess the muggle equivalent of a Phoenix is a golden retriever. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> yes, he's a golden retriever. Solved. <laughs> I have been Gemini Cricket, your maybe an Ermine host. And I've been Rhea, your huggable koala host. Thanks for listening to podcast nine and three-quarters. This show is written and edited by Rhea and Jem. You can send us an email at nine and three quarters podcast at gmail.com, find us on Tumblr at podcast nine and three quarters.tumblr.com, or talk to us separately on Twitter. Rhea is at smash Mouth Ria and Jem is at Jem underscore just Jem. Please feel free to send theories or ask questions and bombard us with so many messages that we go mad and run away to a hut on a rock in the sea just to avoid them. Our logo art is by Winged Corgi. Find more of her art at wingedcorgi.tumblr.com. This week's intro music was Rita Skeeter by Patrick Doyle, and our outro music was Hedwig's Theme by John Williams. You'll hear from us again in two weeks time.